Welcome to Stacy on the Right, the podcast. You can find out more at stacyontheright.com and familyvisionmedia.org. And guess what? I have a fantastic guest for you today. We have Gabriella Hoffman. She's a fellow at the Independent Women's Forum, one of my favorite organizations. She's also a media strategist. Uh, she's a videographer. She interviews amazing people. And she's host of a podcast that is very popular. It's all about conservation. And of course, she's a gun owner. She shoots. She hunts. She has all the fun. And she lives in Washington, D.C. metro area, which means she's in the heart of the cabal, the deep state. She just swans around in there looking clean and pretty and fantastic among all the muck and the mess. She does it so well. Thank you, Gabriella, for coming on today. So good to visit with you, Stacey. I don't know how I keep my sanity intact, but I try my best <laughs> living in this swamp. <laughs> you're, you're doing a fantastic job. You're actually reporting from inside, which is actually it's it's needed. It's what um, it's what when when history looks back on certain time periods, it's those who were inside who reported out who get to tell the story. So it's it's really great to have you doing that. And speaking of, the last time you were here, we were talking about the PRO Act and how dastardly it was. And it has made a reappearance in a piece of legislation that is being considered right now. Can you give us an update on that? Yes. So when we last spoke, the PRO Act was being mulled in Congress. It passed the House. Doesn't look like it's going to pass the Senate. So they've moved over to reconciliation and they want to include portions of it in reconciliation, not exactly the key provisions that we've spoken about, whether it's the reclassification portion of making every independent contractor a default employee or repealing right to work outrightly, but they have some other provisions. And then they're going to eventually, I think, work their way to do this through the Labor Department, through regulatory fiat, but they want to give tax breaks to funding union political campaigns, which you can't do technically. They want to give a tax credit for vehicles, electric vehicles made using labor union workforce, and that would be an amount of $4,500, crazy stuff. And they want to give more funding to the Department of Labor's wage and hour division by increasing it by a third. And that would essentially give them more enforcement power against independent contractors to reclassify them as workers or employees. So there's a lot to unpack in the reconciliation bill. I won't bore your listeners with all the details, but they have found ways to try to push non-budget related items into reconciliation. I don't think we'll see Republican support with it, but Democrats are very keen to do this. This president is very keen on elevating and boosting labor, labor workforce, which has seen a huge decline, a precipitous decline over the years because people don't want to be coerced into unions. They don't want to be working and having union membership conditional on their type of employment. We also see with different conditions across, let's say, the national space where a lot of companies are having to abide by vaccine mandates. I think people are also getting restless about returning to their workplace. Many people really love working remotely. And we see a phenomenon called the great resignation. So all these different factors could precipitate a lot of people leaving the traditional workforce and entering freelancing in what is called the great resignation. They estimate about 10 million people are contemplating and certainly seeing political maneuvers from the White House being applied to big corporations and big companies with over 100 employees, I think many people may be contemplating resigning or choosing a different type type of work arrangement that is more ideal and not as taxing as something like this. So we see people gravitating towards freelancing. And naturally, of course, the Biden White House wants to curb that 
We have seen the president put out statements saying, I don't want to punish you for success, but, or my plan is not going to cost anything, but, and economists findings, you don't need to be an economist even, I'm not certainly, but even anyone with basic reading comprehension can see that their plans will do nothing to ameliorate the national debt. It would increase taxes all across the board, not just targeting wealthy job creators, but it'll trickle down, we'll we'll call it trickle down taxation. It'll hurt all of us effectively. And this, what they want to do with labor, essentially punish you for your work because you're not unionized, is really just damaging. And just even to think of it, it has me worried, especially as someone who does this full time and does not need union membership. I don't need unions to come in on my behalf to negotiate my payments. I'm my best negotiator. So we find a lot of people on both the right, the left, the middle, everywhere in between, starting to speak out against this, the PRO Act and other semblances of it because they love and cherish being entrepreneurs, one-person businesses, people who hire independent contractors or part-time gig workers to make their businesses whole. And it's against the American fabric to pursue something like this. So hopefully we'll see some pushback, but we are seeing them push this in reconciliation. Yeah. So when you're talking about that, and I, and I actually, I appreciate you going into some detail there. Um, that's what people are looking for there. They know there's a lot wrong with what's going on with this, this version of reconciliation, this, this, you know, bite at the apple, but they're, they're thinking to themselves, well, what is it specifically? I mean, I'm I'm interested in knowing more. So you've just explained how they're taking bills that they can't get through Congress, which normally, and I know nothing's normal anymore, but I still can refer to normalcy. I, I don't want to forget what normal used to feel like. What would happen is if you bring up a piece of legislation that's so unpopular that you can't get it through both houses of, of uh, Congress, then you you think to yourself, the American people don't want this, and you go back to the drawing board. And what the Democrats have taken to doing here is they've taken the most unpopular things that they propose, which is pretty much all of it, and they're breaking it down to little pieces, like taking a Lego ship that your child built, breaking it into little pieces, and you know, smuggling it out of the house or smuggling it into maybe a cake or something. Like no one will notice when they bite into a piece of cake and bite into a Lego and you know, crack their tooth that they've bitten into a piece of something that shouldn't be in there. Legislation does not belong in reconciliation because reconciliation is a budget maneuver. Uh, So this is taking very unpopular things and trying to hide them inside of something that has to happen um, because we don't use regular order to pass a budget anymore. Now we just use reconciliation, which was supposed to be an emergency uh, stopgap measure. So there's more to the story, though. It's not just that infrastructure bill and reconciliation that is having such a tough impact um, as you're doing your work there in D.C., do you see anything else that the American people should be really concerned about as it pertains to um, what they're trying to do with these two bills? Yeah, they're inserting a lot of very alarming type of things that are not germane to the budget. There's talk of tree equity. They want to give lots of subsidies to electric vehicles. There are provisions to address climate change kind of in extreme ways. They want to propose more tax hikes. They're not pursuing geothermal energy or truly clean energy sources throughout the, their endeavors to push clean energy. They're focusing largely on solar and wind, giving them more, and then obviously creating, I believe, more of a subsidy for people who can largely afford electric vehicles, promising it's going to trickle down to those lower income brackets. So they want to increase the subsidy for electric vehicles as well. And other things that have nothing to do with the budget. It's just to have a Democrat pet project type of bill 
Maybe they foresee that they can't pass anything in the coming year or so, so they want to get done with everything right now, not caring about the cost, what it'll do to the debt and deficit, how it'll burden people, how much will be wasted, how much of this money is actually going to go towards those said projects. And just so much I mean, human infrastructure, they want to not even pursue traditional infrastructure, which could be appealed to an appeal with, with many different interests, but you can't really reason with them because it's not really bipartisan. It's bipartisan in favor of Democrats. There's nothing truly bipartisan. It's all muddled with this kind of human infrastructure, taxing and spending type provisions, which are goals of the Democratic Party to see before it could be surmised that they lose control of one House of Congress, or maybe they lose both the Senate and the House even with their narrow majorities, and they shouldn't be governing like this, maximizing pressure through these bills, because they don't really have a mandate to do this with their slim majorities, obviously the 50-50 makeup in the Senate, and then just the barely thin majority in the House of Representatives. So they're not governing how they should be. The president is not governing as a unifier, and they're going to be alienating even a lot of their members in the moderate side. I think there are some reluctant Democrats who are nervous about signing on to this. They are trying to maximize pressure on Senators Manchin and Cinema, saying that they're traitors and they're terrible and that they would do Democrats a disservice if they heed caution on this. So it seems to be very abnormal times in Washington, and it's not to the benefit of the American people, including the provisions we spoke about. And I think just generally looking at it, I think the bill is thousands of pages long, it's going to cost $5.5 trillion, not $3.5 trillion, according to some estimates. I think the Washington, Wall Street Journal put out a figure uh, approximating that $5.5 trillion. So they're not keeping in line with what they're promising. We don't know how much of it is going to be wasted and how truly infrastructure-related it is and if it really aligns with reconciliation. So it's confusing, it's problematic, and it's going to hurt all Americans equally regardless of their income brackets. Yeah, I I think that's the other thing that the Democrats have successfully inured Americans to. They always people always assume, well, if the Democrats are proposing it, it's going to help the little guy. Well, monitoring every transaction in your account over six hundred dollars doesn't help little guys. What it'll do is it'll subject people to extra taxation. What'll happen is, you know, you you sell your um your push lawn more to your neighbor for you know six hundred and fifty bucks. Or you sell your, you know, anything, anything that you might sell, uh, an old refrigerator or, you know, a refrigerator that you bought that you're not going to to keep and you sell it for 650 bucks or 700 bucks. And that's not something you would normally claim on your taxes. You know, it's not regular income. It's a single thing that you sold. Um, there's a lot of people who I don't feel like they're intentionally uh, trying to avoid taxes per se, they just sell things like they, you know, they buy something, they use it for a little while, and then they put it on uh, Facebook marketplace and they sell it. Well, that's what the the IRS is looking for. The Biden administration is saying they have over 94% or some really high number. It's well over 90% compliance with tax uh, payments and, and adhering to the tax code for businesses, entrepreneurs, uh, people who have CPAs. You know, there, there are people who file their taxes religiously and they're very careful about it. Then there's everybody else, the little guys. The big guys are adhering to the tax code because they make so much money and they're under heavy scrutiny. It's the little people who, you know, you earn your income from multiple different streams. You're kind of a cash in hand person. And the only record of it is your bank account and not your credit cards, your bank account, because that's where you put the money in and that's where you take it out of. 
And it's also for they can also connect it to payments and and things you received, which means they get a de de facto gun registry out of this because every payment that's made to, you know, uh, JJ's guns, they know you bought a gun there. You'll you'll have to prove you didn't buy an accessory. I mean, accessories aren't usually that expensive. Sure, you can get a vest for three or four hundred dollars. But usually if you're spending more than six hundred bucks, it's because you bought a firearm. So they have the background check system, but they can also connect it in that way and and create the uh, kind of fill in the holes that they feel are there because of their so-called loopholes, which we all know there are no loopholes, but that's what they call them. So there's also the the gift registry. I'm talking about donor gifts. So when you donate to like I, I donate to Thrive, if I donate to them and it's more than six hundred dollars, they now have a de facto uh, registry of all of the donors to thrive the organization or, or any other not-for-profit that's right-leaning that they don't like. So all of the things they've been told are unconstitutional and they've been smacked down by the Supreme Court. They get around that through this piece of legislation. Well, it's not, it's not a piece of legislation through this line item within reconciliation where they're tracking your bank account. That is something people aren't really thinking about. And it does impact the little guy. So when you say, Gabriella, it's everyone, we're all hit by this. Everyone is harmed by this because the IRS grows and gets more power. Yeah, they want to increase their staff to 80,000. And I wrote about this actually at Independent Women's Forum. And I accidentally or unintentionally went viral last week when I heard President Biden talk about and give a nod to this proposal. He didn't say the number of outflows, inflows, denomination of 600. But if uh, your listeners head over to Independent Women's Forum and, and see my most recent blog post, I broke this down. And in addition to creating registries, I didn't even think about the gun portion. But one thing they want to do is create a surveillance program. Reason Magazine actually explored what this would look like, and I cited it in my piece. And this would give the IRS unmitigated access or untapped access to private information, kind of what, what unions want to do with employee information if everyone were to be unionized. So this would give them and allow them to harness more power. A lot of community banks would be displaced and, and left kind of bound by constrictions and not be able to operate. And they're not comfortable having their clientele's information be available to the IRS in this manner. So you're going to see a lot of community banks where great banking practices take place. These are integral to our communities. I bank at local banks. And it would give, I think, undue preference to the bigger banks, which are more woke, uh, certainly would bow to the IRS's demands, and it would completely destroy community banks. And many, many banks, the American Banking Association has sounded the alarm in opposition to this, and it's not currently included in reconciliation. They're trying to find ways to reinsert it because it failed to be in the American Jobs Plan. That was in May, but you can find this on the Treasury's website. Janet Yellen and the IRS commissioner released a joint statement recently saying that they would like to see this, and they kind of balked that, oh, well, we're not going to monitor inflows of 600 or outflows of 600, we're going to increase it slightly. So it's there's a lot of blowback to, to this proposal, but they may try to insert it one way or another. But currently in the draft, it's not formally inserted, but it'll affect everyone. And they'll look into your PayPal account, your Venmo account. If you have crypto, they'll also look to see if you have inflows and outflows that exceed $600. And interestingly enough, their goal, if you read through this document, there is a provision to attack S-corporations. And you probably heard the news that President Biden has $500,000 unaccounted for through an S-corp that he used for certain speaking engagements and other assorted type expenses. Gabby, so really Gabby, we covered it. I So I had to talk about it on the SiriusXM show because that was $12 million in income that he and his wife oh my made gosh, even that more. they ran through an S-corp. And the S-corp, you can determine how much of that is applicable to 
the tax that we pay into our, you know, into Medicare. So what he did was he said 800,000 of this 12 million is taxable under Medicare rules. And then what he did was he paid eight, the the tax on the 800,000 and the rest of the money they spent. They used it for whatever they wanted. Mm-hmm. So if anyone should be under scrutiny, it's not all of us for our $600 inflows and outflows. It's Biden. He possibly owes as you said 500 grand. That's a lot of money. <laughs> I mean, just think yeah. about he didn't think that this insertion of this provision would come back to haunt him because he used that loophole too. actually very kind of uh, maliciously. He used it. <laughs> and it's funny that no one has really called that out in, in relation to that. But I was able to point that out in my IWF post. But yeah, it seems like it, it's to place maximum pressure on all of us. And actually, Senator Chuck Grassley tweeted out yesterday what their pledge of not one penny would be raised for those under $400,000. And he said, don't believe it. The nonpartisan joint tax committee analysis shows that no income group is safe from Democrats' reckless tax hikes. He said over 12% of taxpayers with incomes between fifty dollars to $100,000 will see tax hikes, and 35% of taxpayers with incomes of one hundred to $200,000. So he found the nonpartisan analysis and showed that all of us and those especially in even lower income brackets are going to be hard hit by the corporate tax rate proposals, the capital gains tax proposals, and they're all their tax hikes. So no one is going to be left unscathed. So let me just say, I saw before I, I realized what it was about, like before I saw the actual legislation um, or the proposed insert, I saw uh, press releases coming into my inbox from banks, from PR firms on behalf of this bank or that bank. Um, objecting to, strenuously objecting to the new IRS, proposed IRS enforcement mechanism of monitoring Mm -hmm. bank inflows and outflows over $600. And I immediately thought to myself, either this is a hoax or this is like nothing makes banks send out press releases. If you notice, if you are on press list, you rarely get a press release from a bank. If they hire a new CEO, I mean, they, they, they just don't announce things. They don't. If you want to know what they're doing, you have to go to their website or be on one of their newsletters if, 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 you know, if they have something like that for people who aren't their customers. So this was coming into my email box. At first, I got the first one. Then I got another one from another bank. Then I got one from a group of credit unions. And I was like, this is really interesting. And then the story broke into the mainstream media. And I'm like, $600 inflows and outflows. And the first thing I thought about was gun purchases. Because as you know, Gabriella, you can buy handguns and small pistols. You know, you can find those for less than than $600. Um, But honestly, most guns, most, I would say, especially if you're talking about long guns, you're over $600. So there's your... Um, enforcement mechanism for knowing who bought what gun on what day and where they bought it that is not the NICS database because you would have the bank account information. So they would just set up uh, AIs for it, you know, algorithms to track this kind of a sale and that kind of a sale. It's the same thing they do in your bank when you go in and they show you the pie chart of how much you spent on food and gas and groceries. It sorts it for you. This capability is already there. So they're going to hire 80,000 people But the actual work will be done by the programmers who put these algorithms into place to look and snoop in our accounts. And they'll be looking for the things we we think they're looking for, just inflows and outflows. They'll be tracking, categorizing, collating, and really making uh, decisions 
background decisions about everything you do. And they'll know every place you've ever been to. Because, you know, if you look at someone's bank account and where they spend money, you can tell where they've been all day. On a day there's no inflows and outflows, you would assume that person stayed home all day. But if they bought gas and then went to Whole Foods and then went to TJ Maxx or Marshall's and then stopped off at the nail salon and then on the way home, you know, bought dinner at, um, you know, the Trattoria, you know everywhere they've been that day. And you can also get patterns from that. My phone, when I leave, because we've spent so much time at one particular place over the last seven weeks, it actually assumes I'm going there every time I leave the house. But before that, it assumed if it was on a Wednesday, I was going to Bible study. If it's on Sunday, it assumes I'm going to church. My phone actually knows where I'm going. This creates a way to even get a finer point on that because they can't access our phone location data. Um, and a lot of us have it turned off, but they will be able to tell what we do and where we are at all times through our bank. It's very sinister. Absolutely. And that's why I think my blog post got a lot of attention. This, a lot of people on cable TV are talking about this and mass a lot more. And I think regular people who wouldn't necessarily be engaged in the political process realize this is going to hit me. Like, I didn't think I had to care about politics. I didn't have to think about caring about what lawmakers are doing. Because unfortunately, until you're personally afflicted by policies, uh, preemptively, or even as something is being molded and, and deliberated, I think that's when people realize, like, oh, gosh, I'm going to be personally afflicted. This is why I have to speak out. And I think that's why you saw a lot of press releases from banks. I didn't receive anything. Normally, I receive things from PR representatives through Muckrake, since I have an account there as a journalist. But I had to search for bank press releases myself, and I had just seen a cascade of them. People who normally would not put out statements saying that our members are going to be hurt, community banks are going to be affected by this, and even our consumers, they're going to have their privacy violated. They even stated that it will incur so many cybersecurity problems because the IRS was recently breached, if you remember. So mm -hmm. how can community banks feel uh, that they can trust the IRS if they're susceptible to cyber attacks from China, Russia, and enemy combatants? So we can't trust them if they're going to be doing what they did before with conservatives, but even take it and stretch it to everyone, uh, regardless of their political standing. So I think a lot of people are very skeptical, given what they've done under the Obama administration to target political opponents. Now, it's anyone who is perceived to be greedy, make money, or to hide away lots and lots of cash in S-Corps uh, to dodge the IRS according to their <laughs> belief. But it, it's not that. It's, it's a way you can defer income. It's not illegal. You, you show, people show for e income, but you can, you can defer. I mean, the president did it himself. So where's the calls for holding him accountable for doing this when he's proposing, he and his administration are proposing this? It's, it's just so ridiculous. It's so predictable, unfortunately, with what they're doing. They want to just punish success and reward complacency in those who believe that government is the arbiter of success and economic output. Well, I think your article over at Independent Women's Forum, which I have linked in the show notes for today's podcast, will go a long way to educating people. They can not just read what you wrote, but click through. It says it's a five-minute read. I recommend it highly. Um, I've just been skimming through it, but I will finish it off and possibly cover some of this on uh, the, the uh, night show. Um, any details that we haven't yet covered. I think your your piece is a deep dive into what will happen if this is allowed. And you know it's a three-alarm fire when, as you said, the banks are sounding the alarm. They're, they're trying to protect their customers. And that's their business model is protecting customers. Banks actually, they, they spend the majority of their time that they're not actually in the process of in, interacting with customers, managing risk, 
and doing things to protect not just their customers' assets, but their customers' data and private information. And so whenever banks are concerned about something and they're gathering together in groups and sounding the alarm via press releases, all of us should be sitting up and taking notice. This isn't about politics. This is about government overreach. There's a huge difference. Gabriella Hoffman, I I love your work. I'm so happy. You know, we've known each other for over a decade now, and I've watched you grow and just do such amazing things. And you're, you're like a pit bull on this stuff. You don't let go. And I loved seeing you go viral last week. I think it's the first of many, Gabriella. I think you're going to do that a lot. Um, Gabriella Hoffman, fellow at Independent Women's Forum, media strategist, viral tweeter, and all around deep researcher for um, everything right-leaning politics. Thank you for being here today. I look forward to talking to you again. Thank you, Stacey. Always a pleasure. Thank you for having me. (laughs) All right. Have a great afternoon. Okay. So I want to tell you about one more quick thing here, and that is the Alliance for Shared Health. They provide uh, to 40,000 households the opportunity to share health expenses, which means critical needs sharing. And you have access to your prescription card through the Share Prescription Card Service. But most importantly, you're not funding things like abortion that are antithetical to the Christian worldview, the biblical worldview. So you are in a place where you are with like-minded individuals, sharing health expenses, um, not violating the word of God, and also um, helping others in need, especially in um, the the outreach that is done. Um, So why don't you check them out? They're the Alliance for Shared Health. You can click the banner ad at stacyontheright.com and familyvisionmedia.org. Click that ad. It'll take you right over to their site where you can sign up because open enrollment is now. It's the Alliance for Shared Health, changing healthcare and changing lives. And that's it for today. I'm so glad to have been with you. You can find out more at stacyontheright.com. Have a great afternoon and God bless.